I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Be Here Now to my What's the Story Morning Glory. It's Justin Peach. A slightly different take on the welcome there. It is because I have run out of things to compare you to. But how are you, Justin? How I'm are you good. enjoying self-isolation? It's not bad. It's not bad, you know. It's the sun shining today. We can't complain at that. No. No, it's all good. I mean, you can't enjoy the sun because you're not allowed outside. No. But uh, this is the Second Tier Podcast, as I say. Uh, in line with government advice, obviously we are in an interesting time. <laughs> Definitely. To be alive. We are uh, following the government advice by uh, recording this podcast two metres apart. Um, I like we, this rule. I like this rule. Usually we spend the podcast cuddling each other and cradling each other in mm-hmm. each other's arms. Um, but on this occasion, we have to do what's best for the country. Absolutely. And we shall continue to do so. We will talk about the coronavirus because that is obviously the main talking point yeah. for everybody just a bit just a bit uh, but unfortunately we have to start with some terrible news uh, from a cardiff city uh, midfielder peter whittingham died earlier this week at the age of 35 it's after he suffered a fall at a pub in wales uh, tragic news peter whittingham is very well thought of on this yeah, show we yeah. are big fans of him i mean it was only a few weeks ago actually when uh, we asked our listeners to vote for the best championship player of the past decade. Mm. And he came out on top and we were both supportive of that, weren't we, Justin? No, definitely. Yeah, as I said, as you said, it wasn't long ago we were talking about him and oozing over his quality as a player. You know, mm. quite rightly, it's, you can't argue against it. He's the best player to have played in the championship. Yeah, yeah. Absolute wand of a left foot. Mm-hmm. You uh, put a uh, Twitter video up yeah, on a, yeah. earlier in the week after uh, Whittingham's passing and it was just a compilation of his <clears> goals <throat> and it shows how deadly that left foot was because he scored goal of the season's contenders, goal of the season contenders yeah. every, every season. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. ridiculous how many goals he scored from outside the box and it... When you look at his figures as well, he was top of goal scoring and assist making as well. Yeah, all for every season that he was in the championship, pretty much. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. You know, you said there, four hundred fifty-seven appearances for Cardiff and then ninety-six league goals. That's a one in four, one in one in four point five, whatever. For a midfielder, for a midfielder, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, and you can't find anything negative to say about it. No. It's just a shame we didn't see his quality more often in the Prem, but I think that says something about him as a person where mm. a player of his quality, you think he's probably had offers from clubs, but he stayed at Cardiff to become a legend. Yeah, that's the one thing I wanted to say, that if there was one downside to Whittingham's career is that he didn't get more of a shot in the Premier League because he had, I think, was it just one season yeah. with Cardiff in what was a rather underwhelming season mm-hmm. for Cardiff as a whole. Yeah. Uh, but Whittingham in himself 
is by far the best championship player I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. He could do it all, really. He was just a one-man show at times. Well, there are players that have come down to the championship and you think, wow, you're a... there has been genuine world-class talent to come down. And yeah, yeah you can say they're, they're the best of ever grace in the championship. But Peter Whittingham did it every season for 10 years. Consistently. Yeah. Consistently was amongst... He, I don't think he ever won the Championship Player of the Year. No. I think I'm right in saying. But he was very much one of the nominees, you've got to say, every season. It, the, the season that he, um, he scored 25 goals, and he, how he didn't win the Championship Player of the Year, yeah. I, I don't know. But he got into three PFA Team of the Years. He won Cardiff Player of the Year twice. He won Football League Goal of the Year as well. So that just highlights how good he was. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable player. Unbelievably sad news and we send our best wishes to Peter's family and all of the Cardiff City supporters who listen to the podcast mm-hmm. as well. Uh, let's talk about the coronavirus then, Justin, because it's it's still going on and I think, in my personal opinion, I'm no uh, virologist, but I think this is going to go on for a long old time. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to plenty of other podcasts who have been trying to fill half an hour or so of their normal episode um, by going on about this. We won't go on for too long because... It's getting, not boring, but you're surrounded by it. There's only so much you can say and we're not experts at the end of the day. And when it comes to something like this, Mm -hmm. football doesn't matter at the end of the day, does it? It's it, it in the grand scheme of things, it's a mere sideshow. Yeah. But uh, you have come to listen to this podcast today to hear our thoughts on what's going to happen next. We'll give you our thoughts without going OTT. Shall we make this the last episode where we talk about the coronavirus? I don't think you can. I think. I th- well, what are we going to talk about next week? <laughs> well, we can <laughs> if we we're can allowed to do an episode next week. I think because you're surrounded by news radio it's all everything is coronavirus let's give listeners half an hour of escape we'll talk about it briefly yeah because it's a very fast-moving situation this time tomorrow we could have a completely different Mm -hmm. take on the coronavirus because it's moving so quickly it's ridiculous i mean only two weeks ago we had we were talking about football Football was still on, which seems like ages ago since we last had football. And we were just being told to wash our hands. Just being told to wash our hands, and that was it. Football was still going ahead as normal, and now we're here where we don't know what's going to happen with the remainder of the season. What do you think is going to happen with the remainder of the season? Because there's been plenty of talk of it being null and void. What do you think of that? I think... Obviously, meetings this week have taken place, and they've said that that they don't want that to happen. I think every club's unanimously said that. Um, well, every championship club, anyway, that that we know. Um, so I think that the season will be played out. It's just it's just a matter of when that will be played out, mm. not if. I, I think it, it will be played out. I completely agree with that. The is it April the thirtieth? They've suspended games till, yeah, which seems it's, very ambitious. It's ambitious, but you got a dream. I, as we say, we're not experts on the coronavirus. No we way. don't know when this is all going to be sorted out. But I cannot see us playing football again until at least end of May. There at is, the very earliest. There is a silver lining, though. There's no Euro 2020. So yeah. hopefully the end of May, as you say, is a, is a target date. There's going to be a summer of football, mm. which the, is nice. That is true. The fact that the Euros have been moved now is... A, it's a good sign because it that means there's no 
there's no blockade yeah. from making the season carry on. Mm-hmm. I think the season has to be finished. Okay. I don't care how long it takes. Even if, even if we're talking about September time, when we should be, you know, into well next into season. the next season, you've got to finish this season. And then whether that means we play more midweek games next season mm-hmm. and get rid of the League Cup, I don't think anyone's going to complain about that if that does happen. But if that is the case, mm-hmm. then we've got to finish this season at the end of the yeah. day, haven't we? And I think... there's been too much money spent from fans and clubs for this season to just be null and void yeah that's that's the point I tried to make last week perhaps not as well put as that but it you know people have spent money to get an end point of the season don't you you know you you go to games for the experience but you go to games ultimately to see your team win and if that win doesn't count to anything what is the point yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um, what else has been happening with the coronavirus then? So one of the things is the EFL have given this £50 million package to clubs. I thought it was a loan, wasn't it? Uh, I think loans are available as well, but mm. the end result is that a lot of clubs, particularly in League 1 and League 2, mm. have been saying it's not enough. When you go through the leagues, ticket revenue, which is ultimately what this is replacing... Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter as much the higher up you go. For for example, the Premier League mm-hmm. ticket revenue is nothing nowadays. It's pocket change yeah. to the big clubs. Into in the Championship, it's still an, an important revenue stream, but yeah. it's not as much well, for the lower clubs. Is we, it? We we spoke about it last week. We mentioned that it, it's it's up to about 30 percent of annual revenue. That's what ticket ticket income. Um, Counts towards and is that in the is, yeah, and it is still thirty. You lose thirty percent of your income. Mm. It, you, you're going to struggle. Um, so yeah, the package is is useful in that sense. Yeah, well, according to I think it was the Colchester United chairman, mm-hmm. he was saying it's not enough, and there's been calls for the Premier League clubs to give money to yeah. the lower clubs, and I think considering how much money they have, that might have to be the case. But then there's, I mean, Premier League clubs, some of them are quite reckless in their own spending. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's an interesting conundrum to be put in because from from an outside perspective, you sort of think, well, why why should they? Because it's their money. They earn that themselves by playing in the league, by the, the figures they bring in. But, but it's then, an embarrassment but then again, of riches they've got. There, there is that, but grassroots football, leagues 2-1 and the championship, they provide so much of that entertainment to the Premier League by the players that they produce, the the players that are on loan that go on loan to the EFL clubs and the teams that come up for the Championship. There's 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 no guarantee or law saying they should give the money over, give some money over. But it'd be a nice it gesture. W- it, it it would be a it would be a nice gesture, and I think it should be it should be done to sustain football. Mm. Yeah, I, I completely agree because they've got so much money, mm-hmm. like astronomical amounts of money compared to those clubs that if they, I, I'll say donate, is that a bit... It, it, shouldn't, you, be you know seen, I mean. it shouldn't be seen as charitable, more of a um, a grant to, to, to yeah. keep going because if you lose... If you lose that if you lose start losing clubs in leagues one and two for starters, it'll start to have a ripple effect through to the championship. Um, the quality that comes into the championship, the players that are bought in the championship and then move on to high levels, it will have a ripple effect and the quality will drop. 
and ultimately it can start to affect things in the long term and you don't want that so i think a grant rather than a donation would be the the best route yeah okay uh, well i think that covers just about everything with the coronavirus at the moment mm. i've got look, plenty of questions when it comes to uh, where, when i was just driving along the other day i was thinking what happens to the transfer window now yeah. because if the season goes into the summer then the transfer window will be open unless yeah, that just gets canned. Contracts, loans. Yeah, contracts yeah, is another yeah, one that has, there's been plenty of talk about that recently. It sounds like what's going to happen is all contracts are just going to be extended until mm-hmm. the end of the season. Yeah. But I suppose if you're a player who is unhappy at a club, yeah, then and you're waiting for your contract to expire so you can move on, mm-hmm. then... Well, you want it to go even quicker, and then there's some players who are just sat in the, you know, in the back, not really doing anything. Yeah. I don't want to name any names, but I think we, every club has at least one player who yeah. is just sat in the background, just earning their money, just and then still getting paid. Yeah. yeah, those players must be quite happy with the situation. <laughs> you can imagine so. I mean, we covered it a bit last week. Nick mentioned that. Um, what happens if a player who's signed a pre-contract deal and will be moving on to a new club at the end of the season injures his ACL? Well, yeah. And then he's out for the next season. It's because the season's been extended. You know, you're going to be playing on harder ground and whatnot because obviously the summers are mm. it's, it's a lot drier. Naturally, injuries might cure a cure. So there's that question mark as well. And I think, you know, I, I've been fairly pleased with the response from the AFL over the last this week. Anyway, they've. They're getting it, not getting it together, but they seem a bit more proactive than they have been in the past. Yeah. Well, I, I feel a bit sorry for the EFL in a way, and I don't think that's. It's, it's been a hard year. For yeah, them. it's not been said many times, but I do feel a bit sorry for the EFL because they are in a, a bit of a tricky position yeah. in the way that this is a situation that no one's ever had to deal with before, mm-hmm. and their people are looking to them for answers when really. All the EFL, EFL can do is just sit back and wait and see what happens. They've, they've been shortchanged by the previous regime, who we won't mention mm. who they were. Um, so yeah, they are they are in a bit of a pickle. But you know, as I said, the response has been more proactive than reactive yeah. this week. Just one final point. One thing that people keep pointing out to me on Twitter is that some players who we thought were out for the season. Might, could might, very well be back. I, I saw some Bristol City fans saying, well, Benny Kofobi might be coming back then. And yeah. I think it is a game changer for a lot of sides. Oh, massively. Benny Kofobi was so... He was massive to Bristol City in the first five, six games. And then he obviously got injured. And then they, they, the style of play changed a little bit to, to yeah. adapt. Um, well, you could have Benny Kofobi back. You could, I mean, Cardiff, we thought their chances Tomlin, of yeah. getting into the playoffs were going to... were very slim because yeah. they lost Lee Tomlin. Mm-hmm. He could be back now. Yeah. Hull have had so many injury problems, yeah. which has been behind their massive slide down the table. They could have all those yeah. players back. Christian Bielik, you thought would be out for the season at Derby. He could be back. <laughs> wow, yeah. It's, it's it, a, it all it's depends. a game changer, yeah, isn't it? It all yeah. depends when the season does return, mm-hmm. but... If because these players aren't training as well and they're having time they're to just recovering. sit back and just recover, then all these teams are going to have fully fit squads, you'd have thought, as well, Yeah, they? teams are going to be coming back and they're going to have to have a mini pre-season as well. So they're going to be coming back in, in a relatively the, the same shape yeah. as everybody else. So 
It's such it's such a bizarre situation, yeah. and uh, it's going to be fan. It's going to be so good when everything's back because I, I'm yeah. interested and fascinated about how everything's going to pan out. Because at the moment we have absolutely no idea. Mm-hmm. Nobody has any idea, do they? But uh, let's move on from the coronavirus then, Justin. We've, uh, I think we've filled the quota there for uh, this week's episode. Yeah. Uh, let's go to another bit of news this week then. Uh, reports in Germany claim Jude Bellingham has chosen Borussia Dortmund over Manchester United. Good choice. Got a bit of common sense, it would seem. It is a good choice. I mean, we spoke about this the last time mm-hmm. I was on two weeks ago. And... We were saying that Borussia Dortmund would be a fantastic choice. I mean, mm-hmm. Bellingham was linked with Man United in January. That didn't happen for whatever yeah. reason. But now uh, it seems like Dortmund, according to reports in Germany, he they have won the race for one of the most promising youngsters in the world. So yeah. with this being said, you think it's a good move for Jude Bellingham? I think it's a good move for Bellingham and well, all parties, Birmingham City, Bellingham and Borussia Dortmund, the three mm-hmm. Bs. Apart from Man United. Apart from Man United, <laughs> because who cares about them? Um, because, you know, the, he's going to a club that develops players into proper, proper talents. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've had such a good history of doing it over the last four or five years. Um, and obviously Birmingham get a decent fee. There might even be a sell-on, sell-on clause in there. You never know. Um so yeah, it is a good move for all parties, and, and, and Birmingham fans will get to Birmingham City fans will get to see Bellingham turn into this this, this top player for a top club, well, which hopefully. is which is which is nice. And he's you know it's not at a Manchester United or a Liverpool, so yeah. there won't be a hint of like jealousy there. Well, the thing is, if he goes to Dortmund, then there's always the chance that he could be brought by a bigger club, mm-hmm. whereas Man United, because they have enormous amounts of money yeah for Birmingham from a Birmingham perspective it would seem less likely that he'd be sold on if that makes sense mm-hmm. whereas Dortmund if he does extremely well there then I mean we're talking years in the future yeah but like a I don't know a Barcelona or a Real Madrid yeah, yeah, yeah. depending on how good he gets obviously mm-hmm. they could you know fork out for him yeah if that makes sense yeah no yeah it does Okay, fantastic. And we'll go to the final bit of news from this week. Uh, Charlton chairman Matt Southall has been removed from the board of club owners East Street Investments. Director Jonathan Heller has also been relieved of his position after an acrimonious meeting on Thursday. Southall claims protocol has not been followed and resolutions have been passed which are invalid and unlawful. The pair have been replaced on the ESI board by Bucharest-based Marion Mihail and Claudio Florica. It seems like the situation at Charlton Bizarre. is not getting any better. No, no. Um, this is the latest in a long series of backroom beef at, at the Valley. Uh, Lee Bowyer has said that it's crazy what's going on behind the scenes and it's not very helpful for him, is it? Well, it's, it's again, it's good timing for them to not be playing football because... Mm. Hopefully, this situation can get resolved over the next few weeks while there's no football being played. And then, once football's back, you hope the situation's resolved, everything's back in place, and they can crack on with just concentrating on football. Because when it's just football, Charlton are a decent side. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The thing is, as you mentioned, that is a very good point that it's 
kind of coming out at a good time when there is mm-hmm. no football because the behind-the-scenes turmoil can mm-hmm. have an effect yeah. on uh, the players. Hasn't really had much of an effect on Charlton so far. I mean, last season they got promoted yeah. when Roland de Châtelet was there and causing chaos. <laughs> uh, but this season... It's, whether it's had an impact it's hard to say really isn't it because Charlton started off well then it's <clears> all gone pretty much downhill for from the first third of the season yeah. to now um, but the, the back behind the scenes stuff hasn't really been much of an issue in that time has it? No but they've they've obviously not been able to invest as much last season they were in a pickle because there was a lot of players out of contract they lost players on free transfers obviously coming into this season they've had to sort of paper over cracks a little bit by bringing in loans and free transfers so the squad itself is not as healthy as it could be but you hope with a, a settled a settled side a board that's willing to invest just even just a little bit of money into the into the team uh, and and plan for longevity this Charlton team can be good yeah yeah it's got it's a club with potential isn't it? Especially with Lee Bowyer, who has he's had plenty of obstacles in his way, but mm-hmm. he's done a fantastic job in the time that he's been in charge at Charlton. Yeah. Right, we have a new feature, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. It's an exciting new feature. Justin, would you mind explaining to us how this feature works? I will do. It's called Squad Goals. Name to be confirmed in the future, or we might leave with it. Anyway. <laughs> All right. It's a, it's a new segment replacing the old segment where we where we spoke about games because who needs games when we can mm. introduce new segments that are fun and exactly. interesting and just amazing. We're going to be talking about teams that really stick out in our heads, teams that can be considered a cult team. Mm. You know, the teams that have really impressed us or mm. disappointed us in some ways. They might have had memorable players, scored some great goals, uh, and picked up some decent results. Got promotion, got relegation. Uh, got promoted really. Uh, anyway, we're also going to be talking about teams that might not want to be talked about. So it's almost going to be a, a too good, too bad situation. Um, so yeah, we're going to be going through the, the squads that they had, the, the 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 seasons that we're picking them out from. You know, they're not going to just be over three or four years. It's going to be one season where this team has been amazing or just absolute shite. Yes, and you've picked the good squad this week. I I've have. picked the shit squad. Yes. <laughs> because I love to bathe in people's misery. Absolutely. Um, which squad have you gone for first then? I've gone back to the 2004-2005 season for mine. Ooh. It was a good season. I, I always think of sunshine and happiness and birds singing when it's the 2004-2005 season. It's a beautiful day on ITV's championship. Bang on. Euro 2004 had just passed. Football Manager 2005 had just rebranded and come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the Coca-Cola Championship's first season as a rebrand. <sighs> what a season. Obviously, Stop it. Liverpool had that comeback in 2005 as well at the end of that season. So a lot of, lot of things happened in this season. But not as much as this football team. Team I'm thinking of, right? They made the playoffs that season. Okay. They had an Everton legend in charge. Right. They had a Dutchman, a Canadian, an Englishman and a Ghanaian as a back four. Can you name who the side is? Can you say that again, sorry? The whole thing. The the uh, back four. They had a Dutchman. Yes. A Canadian, an Englishman and a Ghanaian. Oh, crikey. Uh, no, I can't. Okay. The team I'm the team I'm talking about is the Ipswich Town team from 2004-2005. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Who was the back four? Uh, I'll get on to that. Okay. I'll get on to that. Okay. 
so this this side was just ridiculous. They were ridiculous. Uh, the the success of this season, well, the same success of this season, were that you know it was built in motion from the previous season. They finished in the playoffs in two thousand three, two thousand four. They lost to West Ham. Um, they're obviously recent, re- recent, re- recently relegated. So there was a few players from that relegated squad a few years beforehand that that was still in the side, and they obviously not didn't have a lot of money, so they had to put put together the team on free transfers, low low fees, and whatnot. But the amount of goals they scored, the players they had, they are a cult team in every inch of the definition. They finished top score, top scorers that season with eighty five. Eighty five is, is a lot. That's a, that's a, that's it. You know they were in a league with um, Sunderland, who got they they won the league that season with something like ninety six points. Yeah. Wigan um, had Ellington and Roberts up front, so scoring goals for fun. West Ham were in the, uh, the league that season. Preston under Billy Davis, a lot of goals. But they finished top scorers, um, and they didn't rotate the squad very often. They had a very small squad. Mm. So I'm going to start with the goalkeeper. It's Kelvin Davis. Oh, of course, Kelvin Davis. I just what a keeper to to think back on. He only had two seasons at Ipswich, but both both seasons he finished in the playoffs. I completely forgot that he was at Ipswich. Yeah. In all honesty, I, I mean, everyone remembers him most for his spell at I say spell at Southampton. He was there ten years, yeah. but. That he was a phenomenal goalkeeper at that point. Yeah, no, he was. He was I think he was just hitting his peak when he went to Ipswich because he was at Luton Town in Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. But what what a player! Um, what a goalkeeper! And I think he played thirty seven games that season for him. He played every game the the previous season. Just amazing. Now the back four was just filled with club legends to an extent. Um, Fabian Wilness at right back. Joined the club in 1999 when they were in Premier League, but then he left in 2008 as a club legend. Mm. The Canadian. Jason DeVos. Jason DeVos. <laughs> 171 games for it, which was more than I thought. It was more than I thought. And he was linked with a lot of clubs the season he left Wigan. Um, that, was, he was, that was his first season, which was the 2004-2005 season. And he was a real leader from the back. Oh, yeah. The Englishman. Can you name who it is? No. Richard Naylor. Oh, Okay. Again, I didn't realise how many games he played for Ipswich. Played 324 24 times for him. That's a bloody lot of games. Yeah. Uh, and occasionally a makeshift striker. And he came through the academy at Ipswich. So... Any centre-back who has makeshift striker down on his CV is instantly a hero of mine. All there's, the time. There, there's, there's a few that... There's, there's, it's a very niche club, isn't it? Mm. But it's a fantastic club. There's, to an, there's only two others I can think of. Sol Campbell and Gary Doherty. Sol Campbell? He started out as a striker at Spurs. Did he? Yeah. Christ. <laughs> anyway, yeah, again, a club legend. Um, the Ghanaian was Drissa Diallo, who played the majority of the games out of the left-backs they had available at that time. He so played on his Wikipedia that he plays for Guinea. It's Ghanaian. No, Guinea. Yeah, it's Guinea. Oh, I thought you were saying Ghanaian. No, that's Ghanaian, Right, okay. Ghanaian. Right, okay. I think that's how you say it. Okay. I might be wrong. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't play as much as the others there, but they had they had others that come in that came in at left back. Matt Richards, who was a good prospect at one point, he played twenty eight games. David Hunsworth on loan, um, and a, and a young American called Daniel Carbassian, uh, who came from Arsenal. What happened to him? Yeah, disappeared, just he into obscurity. Played for Burnley and Roanoke Star. There you go. Oh, good team. Big fan. Midfielders. Now, when. 
this this first midfielder, midfielder is an absolute hero of mine, and he's on par with Graham Alexander as a penalty taker for me. Is it Tommy Miller? It is Tommy Miller. <laughs> he scored 15 goals that season from midfield. I remember him being extremely good at penalties. Yeah. Apart from that, I do not remember much else about Tommy Miller, I've got to say. He was a cracking player. and Every opposition was filled with envy of this Ipswich team just because of the players they had. Mm. It was ridiculous. And he played alongside Jim Madilton. Did he go into, he managed them soon afterwards, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, so he retired in 2005-2006 at the end of that season and then was made manager for the 2007 season and was there for three years yeah. as manager. I, I vaguely remember him <clears throat> not being... He's one of those cases where a club legend, because Jimmy Gilson pretty much was a club yeah. legend at Ipswich, he became the manager and it all went a bit tits up and now he's not as fondly thought of there because of how bad yeah. the managerial spell went. It's one of them, really. <laughs> I mean, I don't know too much about his spell, but they were very mid-table, weren't they? Yeah. But again, I'll, I'll, I'll get on to that. What, Ipswich mid-table? No. Not not at this point. They were tremendous oh, yeah. for that for those two seasons. Um, but you've got to think of the players that they lost the previous summer. Marcus Bent left. Um, they lost Matt Holland, who was uh, club captain. Yeah, he went to Charlton. Yeah. Some absolutely... Cracking players have come through there. Wide players are a bit up in the air. Um, so they had Darren Curry, and I think Kevin Horlock played out wide. Yeah. Weirdly, the players that they had, he was the only player to win Player of the Month, a Player of Month award that season. Kevin Horlock. Fair enough. Don't know too much about him because his season's not massively decorated with goals and assists and and whatnot. But no. he didn't score one goal for Ipswich. But he he played he played a hefty amount of games for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so out wide they had uh, Kevin Horlock. Uh, Ian Westlake, again, was a huge prospect at that time. I think he moved on to Leeds later on, but he, he played 50 games for them. Um, and obviously Horlock played 44 games for them. So they were two cracking players, but yeah, they they were. Uh, I imagine they were a direct side 4-4-2 because the two strikers they had. <laughs> I mean, one of them is fairly obvious because he's probably one of the most legendary championship strikers ever. Which one are you talking about? Probably both of them, actually. <laughs> uh, I was talking about Darren Bent. Also, also, I thought you were talking about Chef And then Chef Kikuchi was the other one. <laughs> I mean, Chef Kikuchi is a legend everywhere. But then they also had Pablo Cunago, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Just ridiculous. Chef Kikuchi and Darren Bent, just unbelievable strike force. And I mentioned that Nathan, Robert, uh, Nathan Anderson and Jason Roberts were... The other two main men in the in the league at that point in that season, but these two were just unreal. They both scored twenty league goals that season. Yeah, and obviously they had Pablo Cunhago and a young Dean Bodic to beat Dean Bodic as as backups, who were yeah. both handy themselves. And they had uh, Jamie Scowcroft. He yeah. was a veteran striker at that point, and he was being kept out the side because well, yeah, he, he had those two. Yeah, and Cunhago as well. But they didn't bring in many loan players. Scowcroft. Carbassiun and Unsworth were probably the main ones that came in. Um, and as I say, they, they hardly rotated the side. Um, all the players that I mentioned there, apart from Diallo, all played over 40 games that season. Yeah. Just an unbelievable side. But it didn't end well for them that season. No. They lost again to West Ham in the playoffs, in the playoff semi-final, um, after leading the Championship by six points in March. Six points. 
happens happens to the best of us, doesn't it? Especially as as, as you being a Derby fan. Yes, yes. That's, <laughs> I'm talking about Ipswich. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, they won one of their last five games, and obviously they missed out on the automatics by two points to Wigan. Mm. It was a very very tight end of season run, um, and then after that, it just seemed to go tits up for them. They lost a, a large chunk of that squad. Um, and it was very much broken up. Cucci went to Blackburn. Um, Darren Bent went to Charlton. Tommy Miller went to Sunderland, uh, along with Kelvin Davis. And the team never really recovered. The two signings they brought in to replace Cucci and Bent were Nicky Forster and Sam Parkin. What are you trying to say? <laughs> Radio silence. <laughs> I mean, they had injuries, but come on. You, you're replacing two of the best players in the Championship with a player who's... At that point, an ageing um, yeah, yeah, goal-scorer yeah. in Forster and then Sam Parkin. And then the following season, the team finished 15th and Joe Royal left. So that is my pick. And I hope Championship fans remember that side as, uh, as, as well as I do. I didn't think about that Championship side as much as you did, but now I will. Because, I mean, the strike force alone... Is enough it's, to as, get me very excited. As an opposition fan, it is terrifying when both strikers are goal scorers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't see two up front very often nowadays, mm. but back in those days, it was very common. And you had they were the perfect strike force, really, weren't they? One was a big battering ram, and the other one was rapid and could finish goals yeah. all the time. And you'd think Darren Bentman wanted to play for England. Yeah. Kuchi was amazing wherever he was. Yeah. Um, Kelvin Davis, a, a, a legend at Southampton. So, that, they, yeah. what a team. What a team. I'm oozing over him. Do you want to hear my pick for a crap championship squad? Go on then. I've gone for the 2017-2018 Sunderland side. <laughs> because... <laughs> what a place to start. What a place to start. <laughs> I am extremely excited for part two of Sunderland Till I Die yeah. because the first series on Netflix was, oh, chef's kiss. <laughs> Spectacular. <laughs> um, in, in a summary, this squad was full of very experienced mm-hmm. and highly, pay, highly paid players. Um, some paid a bit too much. We'll get onto that in a sec. Ooh. But a lot of the players that were there just couldn't really be bothered. Which left was ultimately the the demise of this Sunderland mm-hmm. squad. The Sunderland squad who got relegated from the Premier League the season before. Yeah. They were the last side, or the most recent side, to be relegated twice in a row. It's the first time it happened in five seasons before that. Can you name the side who it was before? Uh, Wolves. Yes. Did, yes, did Sunderland finish bottom in the Premier yes. League? Uh, I I think they finished bottom in the Premier League, yeah. But they also finished bottom in the Championship that season as well. Jesus. Spectacular stuff. Um, I'll briefly go through some of the players. Uh, Some experienced players here, Justin. Unbelievable when you think about it. Lee Camp, uh, John O'Shea. Lee Camp was there. uh, Who else we got? Billy Jones, Lee Catamol, Ada McGeady, Darren Gibson. Experienced players. Some it's hard to pinpoint what exactly went wrong apart from the side that they couldn't really be bothered. Mm. Um, on paper, the fact that their strikers were Ashley Fletcher, uh, Josh Madger, and Joel Osoro, all 
young strikers. Mm-hmm. Ashley Fletcher was only 21 at that point. The other two were 18. They were the only strikers they had all season. Well, they had Graben. Probably didn't help. Oh, Graben. they had Graben as well, but he left halfway through the yeah. season. And if you watch the Netflix documentary, you won't be too keen on Mr. Graben after seeing that. Um, but going through the rest of the squad, the one player who stands out has got to be Jack Rodwell. Um, again, if you have watched the Netflix documentary, mm. he does not come out in a great light. He, at the time, was getting paid thousands of pounds. I, I can't think how much it was off the top of my head, but I think it was north of £50,000 yes. a week. A week. Uh, he didn't play at all that season for Sunderland, which was one of the main reasons that he was kind of vilified because he was getting paid a lot of money for doing absolutely nothing. And he eventually did leave the club, but by that point it was a bit too late because Sunderland were not only struggling on the pitch, they were struggling off the pitch Mm -hmm. with a lot of financial problems. But when you look at this Sunderland squad, it's just quite funny. Really, <laughs> from, an out, from an outside perspective as well, and there there are a couple of occasions that stick out in my mind from that documentary. Is mm. one, um, I think it was the assistant manager Grace and Glyn Snowden that at that point they went to go and scout a Scunthorpe United match. Yes, and they went to scout Dwayne Holmes, who's now a key figure in the Derby side. And they said, I don't know what the reasoning was, but they didn't fancy him. I think now I'm not sure if this is the case because I remember watching that scene. Yeah. But it seemed like the reason they didn't sign him was because he wore gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting, to say the least. Yeah. It's worth pointing out as well that Simon Grayson was in charge for the first few months of the mm-hmm. season and then uh, Chris Coleman took over. Oh, on paper, that's a very good appointment. It's a very good appointment. Chris Coleman had just taken Wales to the Euros semi-finals, yeah. was one of the most highly thought-of managers in the country. He was linked with Premier League jobs, mm-hmm. went to Sunderland and did this, and now I think he's in China. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Grayson appointment as well, at, at that point, was, as I say, on paper, a good appointment as well, because mm-hmm. he steadied the ship at Preston. They were a good championship mid-table side, and then he went to Sunderland. It's very worth pointing out that Simon Grayson was not a fan of the Netflix documentary, I don't think. I don't think he, <laughs> he was. What, what were his words? He didn't get. He, he didn't get enough airtime in him talking about. Well, just in general, like they painted him in a bad light and painted Chris Coleman as this saviour. Yeah, what it was a thing. But I think Simon Grayson wasn't a fan of it happening in the first yeah. place. So that's not ideal. Um, the final point I wanted to make was the highlight of the whole documentary. And we don't encourage this whatsoever, but when Chris Coleman had a bit of an altercation with a fan. <laughs> it was because so bizarre, wasn't it? It was, it was funny. The whole thing was bizarre. Like It, it just it, summed up the whole season at Sunderland because it was a nightmare. Fan asking for a autograph or a picture and then it gives it, doesn't he? Or he well, no, this was another verbal. fan and then this other fan came along and called Chris Coleman a, a wanker. They called him a prick. That's what a he prick. Was. Yeah. Um, and Chris Coleman. I'm went not back a prick. I've got six kids. Or something. And pointed out that he has kids, <laughs> <laughs> which apparently does not make him a prick. Uh, but that was the Sunderland side from 2017-2018. I'm not sure when we'll ever see another 
we'll ever see a Premier League side go directly down again, although Huddersfield came quite close this season. Yeah. But it was a shit show, and from the looks of things, it's still a bit of a shit show at the, as it stands. <laughs> and it was a shit show that everybody got to see. Yes, and I look forward to Sunderland Till I Die next when it's next it's April, April. It's April. It's, yeah exactly that's going to be good to watch when you're in self-quarantine uh, let's do some polls Justin at the start of the show we asked you a few questions as we normally do when we record these podcasts we have done three well two coronavirus themed questions and then uh, the bog standard silly one because we're both very silly aren't we Justin definitely first question was will this season ever be finished what were you saying yes 71% said yes. So, surprising, because I thought it would be a bit of a landslide, that one. I didn't I think imagine a some, third of people would say no. Some fans of Luton, Barnsley might say no. Yeah, and some fans who don't like Leeds, maybe. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, would you be happy with the rest of the season being <clears throat> played behind closed doors? A bit of a contentious one. It's, if it has to, yes, but no. 53% said no. So I, again, not a virologist. We're just saying this from an outsider's point of view, from of speculation. From two pub goers. Two pub goers. Not at the moment. In pure, yeah, pure speculation. Um, I think the season will probably end up being played behind closed doors. Um, th- th- one, one thing as well is that it's going to be interesting to see what happens with... Because if a player gets coronavirus, yeah. does that mean they're ruled out? Well, they I presume to. it has to. Well, yeah. if a player gets coronavirus and in contact with the teammates, then the whole team has to go into self-isolation. Exactly. You can't train, you can't prep for a game. So I get, finishing this season, in that sense, you, you're going to have to wait for everything to, 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 to calm down itself and to cases to drop before mm. you start playing games again. Yeah, I... I think the games will be behind behind closed doors, and I'd be all right with that as well. I, I mean, it's not what I'm not keen on it. I'm not. I don't want games to be behind behind closed doors. But if it's got to be done, it's got to be done, isn't it? Well, that that's it. If it comes to it and it has to be done, then you're just gonna have to suck it up and go. Okay, fine. Exactly. And what is the best ever football film? The options were Escape to Victory, Goal, Green Street, and Football Factory. Um, I haven't seen Escape to Victory. I've got to be honest. I've seen bits of it. I have seen Green Street numerous times. There isn't much football in Green Street. It's mm-hmm. got to be pointed Definitely. out. It, there is, I think, about a minute of football <laughs> in Green Street. Football Factory, I've seen once. But I can't remember if there's any football in it at all. I, I mean, the the, the last, the latter two there are very violent films. They're not really football films. They're not, but... fam- they're not family-friendly films. So if you want a family-friendly film... Escape to Victory is... Is it a fight? I mean, they're in a, they're in a Labour camp, aren't they? It's a Nazi camp, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Goal is a fantastic film. Yeah. I would have picked Goal, because I bloody love Goal. Yeah. It's a fantastic film. Goal 2, not as good. Goal 3. Have you seen Goal 3? No. It is awful. <laughs> it got it went straight to DVD. Absolutely atrocious. You've got it, though, haven't you? I've got it on DVD somewhere. <laughs> because I wanted to watch it, because I love the Goal trilogy. Well, I, I love the Goal First two, uh, goal two, not as good, but either way, goal one, I would have gone with. Anyway, the result of the poll was uh, goal got 29%, Green Street got 29%. Ooh. 
Escape to Victory 24% and Football Factory 18%. So very close. What would you have gone with? I probably would have gone with goal. Yeah, goal's fantastic. Santiago Munez, fantastic player. Legend. Let's do the Craig Price and Pub Quiz, Justin. It's that part of the show where I have six clues for Justin. <clears throat> he is going to try and guess who this player is. It's a championship legend who has made over 200 championship appearances and will have played relatively recently. So the first clue, Justin, is this. I have made 212 appearances in the second tier, scoring 87 goals. 87 goals? 87. 217 appearances? 212. Sorry. Richard Cresswell? No. He's not scored that many. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? That, hang on. 212 appearances, 87 goals. That's nearly two in two every game. No, one a game. One every other game. Preston, prolific. Leeds, sort of prolific. And then... It's not Richard Cresswell. Okay. I've played for 11 different clubs. Jesus. Including Blackpool, Norwich and West Brom. Blackpool, Norwich and West Brom. Brett Olmerod. It's not Brett Olmerod. Oh. He hasn't played for Norwich and West Brom. No, that's right in there. <laughs> I also had spells abroad, including in Israel. Oh, I don't know why. Why didn't I listen? It's Robert Earnshaw. <laughs> I was going to say just before, I would have been very surprised if you didn't get this. Oh, my God. God. Um, I also had spells abroad, including in Israel, America and Canada. Was it the Israel bit? No, it was the Norwich and West Brom. Oh, OK, fair enough. <laughs> I don't, uh, don't know what I dive right in with. You know Blackpool? Yeah. He had, I think he bit. played one game <laughs> after he went to Maccabee Tel Aviv. I think, oh, okay. off the top of my head. Uh, the other clues were I moved for three and a half million pounds on three different occasions to... Uh, West Brom, Norwich and Derby. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, I'm the only player to have scored a hat-trick in the Premier League Championship, League Cup, uh, League Cup, FA Cup, League One, League Two and International Match. And guess what? He peaked at West Brom in the 04-05 season. The 04-05 season, season should be knighted by the Queen. I'm surprised you're saying that, being a Derby fan, because he's not the most fondly thought-of player at Derby. I'm clearly a Robert Earnshaw superfan, because you might know about him. <laughs> and finally, in 2018, I went viral after tweeting, since we sent robots to Mars before sending humans, isn't it possible that the first extraterrestrials that we encounter on Earth could not be the aliens themselves, but might be their technology instead? It's very philosophical. Very deep. I mean... I'm from a footballer. When it, comes from a, when it comes from a footballer, people will jest and mm. take the mickey out of him. But he does make a good point. Yeah. Um, there was an interview uh, with him when he was at um, Maccabee Tel Aviv yep. um, about because they have this missile system because um, sometimes Maccabee Tel Aviv not not the club oh, I was going to um, say the city uh, and they were saying that sometimes where there when there are bombs that are being fired um, these these missiles go off in the middle of training and then they have to get to cover because of the shrapnel Frankie. it's crazy if I was a footballer I I don't see the appeal. Of going to somewhere like Maccabee Tel Aviv, I've got to say. It's a fairly. That Israel have got a fairly rich history of producing good players, good clubs um, in Yossi European Ben Ayoun? Um, Tom Ahmed, Baron Kayal. Okay. Well, I suppose, yeah. But... Um, Amit Berkovich as well. Um, ben Sahar. <laughs> Do you remember him? Oh God, it's not the worst. It's not the worst I'm not saying it's, I'm it's, not saying Israel's a bad place. I do not want to be accused of that. I'm just saying, it's a, for, if I was a footballer and had many options on the table, which I'm sure someone of Robert Yearnshaw's caliber did, Israel would not be my first choice destination. Yeah, but good weather. 
it's like fairly metropolitan. So it's well, not, as you've just pointed out, you have to hide from missiles during training every so often. That's not ideal, but... <laughs> I mean, he also went to America soon afterwards, which seems like a no, much he didn't. more... he went to Canada. No, and he played for Chicago Fire as well. Oh. Yeah, there you go. It was just Montreal Impact. No, it was, it was Vancouver. Vancouver Whitecaps. Come on now. Get your, I'm get your MLS Earnshaw. team sorted out. I'm clearly not an Earnshaw super fan. <laughs> uh, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening, and especially <clears> during this very difficult time. Uh, we will endeavour to continue to bring you content. Mm-hmm. How this will be done, we're not too sure at this very moment Play in time. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go with the flow and try our best to keep producing things for you because we bloody love you. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Ryan Dilks. I'll be just Beach. Thank you for listening. Baby, feel all right. Baby, feel all right.